0: needing to see any of those like crazy uncles or aunts or cousins or whoever that just drive you crazy and then Thanksgiving and Christmas come and you got to deal with them twice in two months right you know nobody else is there okay but, but like nobody can drive you nuts quite like family uh, that's all I've got today no I'm just kidding I'm kidding <laughs> uh, but but nobody nobody can bring quite as much joy as family can have you noticed that no, nobody can bring you the, the amount of joy and the, uh, the amount of fun and all of that stuff that family can if it's done right. And, of course, we drive each other nuts. And, of course, there's always the annoying little sibling or the annoying aunt or uncle or cousin or whoever it may be. But nobody brings you joy quite like family. And so here at Faith Christian Church, we do two series a year. Two two months out of the year we spend preaching, uh, talking about family. Because we can talk about biblical concepts and ideas and scriptures all day. But unless we know how to apply them and live them out... It does nothing. And so we talk about family because nothing is more near and dear to every single one of us or, or brings up more pain and hurt in every single one of us than family does. And so we talk about families because it's a very practical application of how to live a life of following and serving, Christ, serving God. And so we, we, we look at scriptures about family, we talk about practical ideas, and, and we find out a lot about how, how God wants us to deal with each other in families. But truly, I want you to know that the heartbeat of our church is healthy families. We want to we build healthy families. We want to help you build healthy families. We want to restore broken families and make them into healthy families. It, I'm, I'm using that terminology over and over because it's, it's truly the heart that we have as a church to help you build a healthy family, whether that be raising kids or whether that be your kids are grown and out of the house or or we're praying for you to have healthy and good marriages or whatever it may be. Our passion is to have healthy families, which is also why we're building a building over there. We're we're building a building so that we can raise up more children, that we can raise up more kids, so that we can welcome more families into this house, into this faith Christian church family, and, and so that we can see more and more households looking more and more like Christ. That's, our, that's our, our mission, our goal, or one of them as a church is we want to build and help healthy families serve Christ or broken families be restored to him. And so we're talking today uh, about a couple of different scriptures. I'm going to read to you a couple of different passages about, about family, about n- Practical things, about uh, final solutions, uh, about, about uh, structural things. There's a lot of different ways that we can look at family, and we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures today that I think are going to be a little bit helpful. And as you see, there's some there's some blocks down here, and later on we'll get to a visual with the scripture I'm about to read. Or In a little bit, but uh, we're going to have some fun today. We're going to talk about family, and uh, I'm going to read you a scripture verse out of Joshua 24 about family. It's I don't know how everyone has missed this, um, but it's a it's a beautiful scripture that nobody has ever heard before, and it ends with "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." You guys ever? Okay, I'm going to read it to you though. You guys good with that? All right, sounds good. Joshua chapter 24, verse number 14 says this: "Now fear the Lord." And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites or in whose land you are currently living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's where, we're, that's where we're going today. We're going to begin there and we're going to end there. So we'll come back to it in a little bit. But that's Joshua. Uh, in a book in the Old Testament before, uh, he's the man that led the, the Israelite people into the promised land. This is post that. This is towards the end of his life. He gathers all Israel together and he says that. Uh, and he says, choose today who you're going to serve. Serve the Lord your God with all faithfulness. But as for whatever you want to choose is fine. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's where we're going to end up today. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about what does a family that, that serves the Lord look like? Because fa- I, I joked earlier about how we've never heard that verse before. But, of course, if we grew up in church or we grew up in a Christian family, we've heard that verse over and over and over again. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Maybe it was on a welcome mat or maybe it was on a sign above your door or above the family bookshelf or wherever it was. But we've seen and heard this verse all over the place. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every Christian household has something like that, that says something along those lines, probably even quoting that scripture verse. But I think the the unfortunate truth is that sometimes when we look at Christian families, families that claim to serve the Lord, families that say this verse, families that have that hanging all over their home, I think the unfortunate truth is that sometimes those families don't look any different than the ones that don't say anything about serving the Lord. And so what is a family that that serves the Lord? If, if, if we're going to have a family that, if you're going to declare today, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What does that really look like? We can't just hold it as a, as, a, as a thought in our heads. The Bible says that serving God isn't a thought in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts. It's something that's worked into every detail. And so if we're going to have families that serve the Lord, it's got to be worked into every detail of our lives. And so what does it look like to have serving God, worked into every detail of our lives. And we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 to help us take a look. I'm going to point out a couple of things today. A family that serves the Lord, what it looks like structurally. A family that serves the Lord, what does that look like practically. And then we're going to come back to the book of Joshua, and I'm going to give you some finally thoughts on uh, a family that serves the Lord. But first of all, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. and to read verse 21 through be the beginning of chapter 6, actually, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about what it, a family looks like structurally out of Ephesians chapter 5. In my Bible, the, the caption, the heading to this portion of Scripture is instructions for Christians' or Christian households. So we, we asked the question earlier, what does a family that serves God look like? I would think that this is a good place to start, instructions for Christian households. Uh, it, gives us, it gives us a little bit of a map. It gives us something to follow, a picture to follow. And um, so there is a family structure that God sets up for us that we are to follow. And our culture may try to tell us different things, that you can do whatever you want. Our society may tell us that you can, you can be this way or, or you can be that way or you can decide this for yourself. But, and maybe that's true. We, we do have free will to decide for ourselves whatever we're going to do. But the Bible says that we are to choose today whom we're going to serve. And if we're going to serve God, this is the way to do it. And I'm not telling you that because God is some rule maker that just gave us a set of rules and then stepped out. But I, because I think sometimes we misinterpret who God really is in our lives. Sometimes we view God as somebody that does just make up the rules and then step back. But in actuality, if we look at who God is, he's a father. He's a father that, that gives us rules, he gives us guidelines, he gives us structure so that we can live the, the life that he designed us and created us to live. He's not doing it to punish us, he's not doing it to hurt us, he's not doing it to, 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 to make you lack enjoyment in your life. He's giving it to you so that you can have fulfillment in your life because sometimes, or all the time, he knows better than we do. Amen? So God knows what he's doing. He's seen through the course of human history and knew beforehand what a family is supposed to look like. And he gives it to us here in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you don't have the picture-perfect family, that's okay. I promise you're going to leave here in church today, so stick with me. But this is God gives us a structure for what family is, is supposed to look like because he's, he made the design for it. He gives us the blueprint. He created it, and he knows how we were supposed to live it out. And so he gives us this in Ephesians chapter 5 to show us how to do it. Our Father gives us the guidelines, and here's what it says. I love how it starts in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where it all begins. If we if we love God, if we serve God, if we if, if we revere God, if we live in fear of God, if we live in awe of God, amazed by who he is, then this is how it's going to work itself into our families. So basically it starts that The very first word, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because we love Jesus, we do it his way. Because we love God, we're going to follow his plan. And here's what his plan is. It says this in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing of the water, washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. I love this, this scripture. It's, it's basic. It, it gives its instructions. It's nothing profound. It's, it's relatively simple if we'll look at it and we'll break it down like we're about to. But it, it's truthful because God gives us the blueprint for what, what, what family really should look like. there's a place for for children to lead. There's a place for women to lead. There's There's a place for men to lead. But God, in the family setting, in the household setting, instructions for Christians' households, right here at the very top of the scripture, it says instructions. This is how to do it. And God says, because we love Jesus, we serve one another. We submit to one another. And everybody's got a role to play in the family that helps build the family that God has set up for us. And the first one, I'm going to do this little visual here. Ephesians chapter five gives us this. I gave, uh, I got, I grabbed these building blocks from my house. My wife uses them, uh, well, not personally, but for for the daycare kids. She doesn't play with blocks anymore, but uh, she gave me permission to use these. And so I'm going to use this for a little visual of, of how we're supposed to build family. They're different sizes, different colors. And so I'm going to lay the foundation right here at the beginning, right there at the bottom, at the very. I read it in the very first verse, and then stop. Submit to another, uh, one another, out of reverence for Christ. So very first thing, very bottom of the uh, of the family structure is because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus, because we serve God, because we uh, live in reverence of God. Because we respect him, because we love him. He comes first. Because we love Jesus, that is the foundational building block of our faith. You can find countless stories in the Bible that talk about Jesus as being the foundation, the cornerstone, the main thing that all other things are built on, that are created on. And family is no different. When we build our families, we have to start with the thing that the Bible tells us to start with, which is, first of all, because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus, we start off and do it his way. We say right from the get-go, no matter what I think is right, no matter what my brain or my society or my way of life tells me that I want to do or think I should do or any of those things, because I love Jesus, I submit to his plan. Because I love Jesus, I submit to his way. I learn his way. I grow in his way. Because we love Jesus is the very first foundational step. And that's the biggest one right there. We've got to have that as our, our core. If we want to have healthy families, if we want to have homes that serve the Lord, it's got to be more than just something that we put on our walls. It's got to be something that, that, that we live out, a love for Jesus that builds everything that we do, that starts everything that we do. The next one that I want to add is this one is instructions for the husbands. Ephesians 5, places of the husband on top of Jesus, building on Jesus as the leader of the household, it says, wives, respect your husbands as the leaders of the family. And like I said earlier, that's not to say that women have no place in leading a family. That's not to say women have no place in leading at all. They certainly do. Everywhere they have place to, to lead. But in the family, God clearly outlines it for us that the husband, the man, the father, is the leader of the household. The, the man is, is in charge of leading the way. He's supposed to be a, a man of integrity, and, and everyone else follows him as he follows Christ. Hus- wives, respect your husbands, listen to submit to your husbands and to their leadership. and that's not a power move. that's simply following the word of God and there's I have some statistics here that I want to tell you that I want to show you that demonstrate the power that a man leading the household really can have. This, this, this statistic is, is to show us uh, when, so when, when one of the members of the family leads the way to church, leads the way to Christ, how many of their families follow behind? So if a child if a child, a teenager, or a young, a young kid finds Christ first in the family and says, I want to go to church, I want to serve Christ with my entire life, 3.5% of families will follow suit. 3.5% of families that have a child accept Christ will follow the family and say, all right, we'll go all in on this church thing, we'll go all in on, on this God thing, and we'll serve God together. 3.5% of families will follow their kids if one of them finds Christ. That number, if the wife leads the way, if the wife is the one that says, I will serve Christ. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I found Jesus and I'm going to lead my family to him. That number jumps up to 17%. So from 3.5% to 17%, it jumps if the wife, not the child, the wife is the first one to step up and say, I'm going to lead the way. Now watch this. If the husband says, I'm going to lead the way, I'm going to be a man of character and integrity, I'm going to decide for my household that we will serve the Lord. That number jumps from 3.5% to 17%. If it's the husband, it jumps all the way up to 94%. 94% of households that have a husband that is committed to serving the Lord will follow suit. Think about the power that has and also the pressure that puts, us, uh, puts on us as men, as husbands, as fathers. Husbands, I'm talking to you for a second. We've got to step up and lead the way. If 94% of our families will follow suit, I'm not saying that every family is going to be perfect and that it's going to be the picture-perfect family. But if husbands say, I love Christ, so I'm going to step up and be the leader of the family, and I'm going to make sure that we, me and my wife and my kids, We're going to serve the Lord. 94% of people, 94% of families follow suit. How amazing is that? God installed the husband as the leader of the family, knowing the influence that he has on his own household. And that's not to diminish the impact on the wife or the children or anything like that. But husbands, we've got to step up and lead the way. We've got to step up and lead the way to church, to serving God, lead discussions about Jesus in our own homes. We've got to to be people of of character, people of integrity. We've got to be people that our kids and our wives can look to and say, we're following that man as he follows God. Let's be that, husbands. Let's be that, fathers. 94% will follow. Then the next one is the wife. The wife is to, to let the husband lead, and the husband is to love his wife. The Bible says to cherish her, to wash her with his words, to wash her with the word. To to make sure that she feels loved, to make sure that she feels cared for. That, that you can go down the list of things that, that the husband can, can do to show love, but this is this is the family structure beginning right here. We build on Christ. Husbands, you lead the way. Wives, are submitting to the husband's lead and, and husbands, you're not just letting things go off in the distance or you're not being unattentive. You're being attentive to your wife and her needs. You're loving her. You're showing her. You're on the same team. As you work together for Christ, because you love him, you follow his plan. And eventually, because you love Jesus and because you love each other, hello, there's some kids. You, you, you love each other and parents, you're going to love this part. Here's what the Bible says. We already read it, but you're going to love this part because it's very beneficial to the parent. If, if, if you can build your family on the Word of God, it works out in your favor because the Bible tells your, ki- your kids to first of all obey you. Can I get an amen from some parents in here? The, the, the family structure is meant that we all submit to Jesus, but then the, the, the husband and the wife, the mom and the dad they are the ones that set the tone for the household and the kids are to obey, to obey. So kids, if you're in here today, listen to your parents. They're not, they're, you might be right about how little cool they are, but they know more than you think they know, right? They know more than they think they do. So when they're talking to you, listen up. When they're teaching you, when they're helping you, when they're trying to correct you lovingly, listen up. If they've got something to share with you, Listen. If they tell you to do something, do it. That's, that's as simple as it gets. Obeying is listening when somebody's talking and, and doing when somebody asks you to do something. Parents, how good of news is that? The, the family structure according to the Bible is kids are going to listen to you. Be people that are worth listening to. Be people that, that that lead the way husbands. Wives, uh, that, that you let your husband lead. And husbands, love your wives so that you're, you're worth listening to for your kids. That they will respect you. That they will obey you. The second thing that it tells them to do is honor you. Kids, that's also something that unfortunately I think is missing in today's culture. We grew up all the time and, and whether it be our TV that, that made it this way or, or just a lack of, of responsibility on the parents' side, we can blame a million different things but I think we lack a culture of honor today where, where parent, or kids look at their parents and they say that's somebody worth, worth being like. Even if it's true, they are worth being like kids think it's cool to pick on their parents or laugh at their parents. And, of course, parents are supposed to embarrass you, and you might not think that they're the coolest thing. But they're worth honoring. The Bible commands you to, to obey and to honor, to speak good of, whether you're living in their household or you're not whether you are, whatever phase of life you're in, if you can obey your parents, if you're living with them, and honor them at all times, that's a biblical model. And here's the good news for you, kids. The Bible, this is, this tells us, the Bible tells us that this is the first commandment with a promise. That if you honor and you obey, things will go well for you and you will live a long and happy life. You'll enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, I don't know about you, you but enjoying a long life is something that I want to have, right? You, you, might, you might say, like, oh, I don't want to live a long time if it's going to be miserable. No, the Bible gives us a promise. God himself gives us a promise. The very first one in the Bible is if you honor and obey your parents, you will enjoy a long life. You will enjoy a long life. That's good news, that if we can honor and obey our parents, if we can respect them, If we can look at them, even if they're not perfect, because nobody is. If we can honor and obey them, we can listen when they talk to us. We can talk good about them. We can thank them. If we honor and obey, we'll live a long, enjoyable life. The bottom line of all this is we've got to do it God's way because he knows best, right? We know that in our heads but sometimes we, we go off on our own selfish tangents because we think we sub- subconsciously we think we know better than God. And so we do things our own way. We look for somebody that we're not supposed to look for. We're with somebody we're not supposed to be with and we know it but we want it. So we convince ourselves that it's right. A couple weeks ago I had the opportunity to sit in a room with five teenagers and of those five teenagers, all of whom who were still living in what should have been their homes, they had three parents. Combined living at home. Out of ten, five kids, ten parents, three of them, had any, they had no, no two-parent homes, three parents total out of all five kids. That's heartbreaking. And as I look around today, that's, that's something that's not all, un, all that uncommon in our culture today. And I think that's, that's so sad. And it's not because there's bad people that are, are, are living lives and having children. It's because we've chosen not to do it God's way. Because if we look at this structure, this family structure, God's way, we build our lives, we build our families God's way, at any one of these, the family could break down, right? If, first of all, if we don't love Jesus, if we don't serve Jesus first and foremost, I could punch this one out and the whole thing is going to crumble to the ground. So if we don't love Jesus, the whole family thing is is for nothing. If we don't love Jesus first, if we don't put him first, if we don't make a decision that we love him so we'll serve him and do it his way, then the families are going to break down. If husbands don't step up and say, I'm going to lead the way, if husbands don't say, I'm going to be a man of integrity, I'm going to be a man of character, I'm going to be a man that serves God and sets the tone for my household, if the husband doesn't step up, then the whole family Is gonna crumble. If the if the wife doesn't let him lead, then the whole thing's gonna crumble. If the husband doesn't love the wife, the whole thing's gonna crumble. If the kids don't honor and obey, then their portion is gonna crumble. At any one of these points, something could come down, and it all breaks down. And that's how we end up today with broken families. I got permission from my wife to do that. I promise it's okay. But at any point in this, if we don't do it God's way, if we don't love Jesus, if husbands don't lead the way, and that part goes out, it all crumbles down. If, if husbands don't love their wives, it all crumbles down. If kids don't honor and obey, it all crumbles down. And that's how we end up today looking at a culture where there's so few families, so many divorced families, so many broken homes. Because we've chosen to do it way other than God's. You see, God has a structure for families not to punish us or make us have less fun or or try to tame our selfishness. No, none of that. It's because he knows best. He knows what he's doing. And he knows that this structure of family is a way that leads to fulfillment. So if we'll just do it God's way because we love one another. Husbands, take the lead and love their wives. Wives, let your husband lead. Kids, honor and obey and you'll get a promise of a long, enjoyable life. That's what the family structure is supposed to look like. Again, bottom line. Because we love God, we do it his way. Simple truths. Because we love God, we do it his way. Next, I want to show you practically what what serving God in a household looks like. And for that, we're going to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the third scripture I'm going to read to you today. When I was starting out preaching, I had somebody tell me one time that you should always read a lot of scripture in your sermons because... Even if you screw everything up, then at least the word of God was read. (laughs) And so if if I suck and you can't get anything out of this today, then uh, at least we read the Bible, amen? (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read right off the bat. In verse 1, this is Moses talking directly after he receives from God the Ten Commandments. Before they are going to go into the promised land... And I love this scripture because it's honestly applicable to where we're at today as a church. And I'm going to stop and explain that in in just a little bit. But today, it's so applicable to us where this is going to go. How to practically have a house, a household, a family that serves God. I'm going to start off in verse 1, chapter 6. This is Moses talking. He says, these are the commands and decrees of the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. Common theme there, huh? Enjoy a long life. Seems like that's the plan of God right there. That if we'll just do it his way, we'll enjoy a long life. But I love this because Moses gives this to his, his people. He gathers all Israel together, and he's like, guys, I've got the Ten Commandments. And I've got these, and I'm going to share them with you. And, and, and as I share them with you, the reason that I'm doing it is not because we're, we're, we're following some God that's just giving us a list of rules that he carved in stone that he wants us to follow, and he'll punish us if not. He, he says, I've got these commandments because we're about to enter the promise, And when we get to the promise, we've got to realize that it's not just about living in the land of the promise, but the actual promise is living in the fulfillment that God has given us. So if we'll follow these, we'll live a long, enjoyable, fulfilled life. So when we get to the promise, our circumstances will change, and all that's going to be great. We will inherit the promise that God has given, but the real promise is that when we live life God's way, we'll experience life God's way. We'll, We'll get all that he has for us. And so when we get to the promised land, you... Your children and your children's children will all serve God continually. Man, that sounds like the heartbeat of our church. That's the reason that we're building this wing. God has promised it to us, not so that we can have a bigger building, not so that we can show off to a community, but so that we, our kids, and our kids' kids can continue coming to a place like this and hearing about Jesus. Amen? That's why we're building a church building, not so we can show off, not so that we can look like we have a lot of money, which we don't. We, no, none of that. We want, when we inherit the promise, when we get all that God has for us, when we step into the next season of what God has given to us, we want to make sure that we are living the way that God wants us to live. And that's exactly what Moses says to the Israelites. He says, hey, guys, you're about to go into the land that God has promised you. When you get there, I want you to do this. Because then you'll live a long, enjoyable life. And the faith that you have in God will be passed down to your children and their children, and their children, and the pattern goes on and on. Man, that's the heartbeat of our church right there, that we want, Pastor Paul talked about earlier, we are a multi-generational church. We're not just a church of old people. We're not just a church of young people. We're a church that wants to see this thing go on and on and on for generation after generation. That's what we're doing here. That's why what we're trying to build as a church is families that can come together and generation after generation can have a story of what God has done in their life. I'm getting too excited. i got to get back to the word here. Here's what Moses says, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. I'm going to pause right there again. That's a promise that we're going to cling to as a church right there, that we're going to increase greatly when we get to the... Get to our promise. That's what Moses said to the the Israelites, and we're not just doing it for numbers sake, but as we said over and over again, we want more and more people, more and more families to accept the promise that God has for their life. So we're believing that as we step into a new building, it's not just going to be a building for what we currently have, but one that's going to increase greatly the people in this community that belong to it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So right there, verse 5 gives us what Jesus refers to as the greatest commandment. Remember, the disciples ask him, what's the greatest, or people come up to him and ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what, where that originally came from is right here. Moses says, love God. Love God. Once again, that's, that's the bottom. Because we love Jesus, we do what? the Bible tells us to do and here's what it continues on to say. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you're, when you're laying down, when you're sitting up, when you're sitting around the dinner table, when you're on a bus, when you, wherever you are. Talk about what God has done. You know what that does? It builds your love of God and builds your love of God for the people that are sitting with you. It builds your faith in God. Let me ask you a question that, to help us check where we're at. When is the last time that you sat down with your family or your friends or whoever you're close to and had an unhurried discussion about how good God has been to you? I'm not talking about like, okay, we're supposed to talk about God, so what's the scripture? Quote of scripture, Jesus wept. Okay, move on. No, I'm talking about when's the last time that you sat around the dinner table and your conversation was about you'll never believe what God did in, in my circle today. I was at work and I got to pray for somebody. Or, or even remembering back, you remember what God did on this day last year? He was so good to us then and he's going to do it again. He's going to do something great again. When is the last time that you sat down with somebody, slowed down, didn't look at life as just a, a list of tasks that we're supposed to accomplish or things that we're supposed to do or places that we're supposed to be, but sat down with the people that you love and respect and just talked about God? I had a time this week where I, a couple of people were helping me move some furniture, and we went to their house, and we just we sat around a table with milk and cookies and started telling stories about what God has done over the past few years in our lives. And I thanked God in the car ride home after that because I realized that, man, sometimes I get going so fast that I forget to think about how good God has been to me, to be aware of what God is doing in the lives of people around you. If you look to your right and to your left today, I guarantee you that the people sitting in your row have some of the most amazing God stories that you have ever heard. But sometimes we just don't have the time or don't make the time to ask. But if we talk about the things that God has done in our lives, if we talk about the things that God can do, the things that he's about to do, the things that he's currently up to, the things that we're maybe even believing for, the things that he saved us from, if you get to know the stories of the people around you, the stories of what's going on in the people in your family, if you have an unhurried discussion about how good God has been to you, I promise you, the rewards will come for that. I promise you. Look at, I, I think back on my time growing up, how many meaningful discussions were had around the Bible with my family, where we just sat in the living room, or they asked, What is God doing in your life? or maybe without that specific wording, I, I don't know what it was, but so many times we just sat down with my family, or, or my pastors, or my friends, and, and had meaningful discussions. Not necessarily we were trying to figure anything out or answer big theological questions, but just knowing. We're all serving God. God's got to be up to something in your life. What's he doing? And they ask me the same thing. And it builds your love of God. It builds your faith in God. And I hope that we can do that as families. Here's another question for, you, for us. Are your kids aware of what God has done in your life? If we have accepted Jesus into our life, we better believe that God has saved us from something. Amen? Amen. He saved us from from a life of pain, a a life of despair, a life of hurt, a life of sin. And maybe you grew up in a Christian household and and you never, never really know, but thank God you did because who knows where our selfishness would have taken us. And you can spare your kids some of the gory details if you find that necessary, but do your kids know how good God has been to you? especially as they get older and they're, they're in their forming, uh, formative ages of what their brain is going to think about God and, and about church and about how they're going to live their life. Do, do they, are they hearing stories of all that God has done for you? Are you telling them that God has saved you, that God has cared for you, all the things that he's brought you through? I think if we start telling that story, it's going to have a profound impact on our kids. It says in the Bible right there, it says, impress them on your children. Sometimes I hear in our culture parents say, well, we're just going to let our kids decide what they're going to want to do. And I'm thinking, like, really? You're going to let your kids decide? Because I know what they're going to decide. They're going to decide whatever feels good in the moment. And that does not lead to a life of fulfillment. It does not lead to a long, enjoyable life like the Bible, pro- like the Bible promises if we'll cling to what God has given us. If we cling to what God has given us, what he's promised us, the, the, the plan that he has set for us, if we cling to that, that's what leads to a long-fulfilled, enjoyable life. Impress these things on your children. Talk about what God has done. And also, I want to ask to you, parents, are you aware of what God might be doing in your children's lives? If you haven't noticed that God really, really loves children. That's why we do as a church. But God really loves children. He'll show them things. He'll tell them things. He'll He'll will Whatever it may be, he is doing something in the lives of your kids. Are you aware of what it is? Are you aware of what we're learning? Even a a simple discussion about what we learned in kids' church can open up a, a door to so much more. So many questions that they might have. And our heart at this church is that discipleship comes from the family. I hope that you, get, you catch that because, listen, I think that our church does a great job at making sure that we do everything we can to minister to people of all ages and make sure that we're preaching the gospel and discipling people of all ages. But at most, we get about two, two and a half hours with your kids a week. Think about how much time you get. How much more time do you have to discuss what's happening in their life? what's what's going on in their school what's going on in their friends listen to what their society is telling them and what and then come back at that with what the word of God says about them and about their situation what is God doing in your children I think that's practically what a household that serves God looks like are we talking about God are we not just hanging signs that says as for me and my house will serve the Lord but are we talking about him are we thinking on him because if we do it grows our faith and builds our love of God Here's where I want to close. I want to go back to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24, I read it to you earlier. There's a couple points that I want to make about it. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to reread what I read earlier. But Joshua chapter 24 is the end of Joshua's life. Joshua has lived a a long, good life, enjoyable life. He served God. He took over for Moses. He led God's people, the Israelites, into the promised land. Hurrah! Then they get there and they keep spreading out. They win the battle of Jericho. They win a bunch of other battles and it keeps going on and on, all the victories that he's winning. And at the end of his life is chapter 24. Chapter 24, he gathers, there's a list of people that he gathers. I'm not going to go into that. But basically anybody that's somebody, the leaders, the people, the people of Israel gather around him and he gives them this charge. It starts off with this. He reminds them of the story of God. Now this is the Old Testament story, so there's not a ton to go through at this point, but they, they go through God brought our people out of Egypt through Moses. And he sustained us when we were waiting in the wilderness. And then he helped us get into this promised land. Even though we were outnumbered, even though we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, we won the battles. We took the land that God had promised. Look at how good God has been to us. And so they go through it all. Joshua tells the people, listen, how good God has been to you. It's like he took Moses' advice. Talk about God. And he does. And he tells the Israelite people, this is what God has done for us. And then he comes to verse 14. He says, now... Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods that your ancestors served in the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he says this famous phrase, his last, one of his last words, but as for me... And my house, we will serve the Lord. I wanna point this out a couple of things. First of all, it says, serve God with all faithfulness. I love how strategic Joshua is in talking about when he's gonna make a charge for them to follow God after he leaves. I love how strategic he is. He tells the story of God. Listen to how good God has been. He has done this. He's done this. God was amazing back in this day. Do you remember when this and this and this? And he goes down the list of things that God has done. And then he says, now, serve the Lord with all faithfulness. I want to know who would say no to that. After hearing about all that God has done, all that God has saved his people from, all that he has worked to provide for them, who would say no to that? That's the value of talking about what God has done, but also he says, serve the Lord with all faithfulness. With everything we've got, stick with God. Even when things get hard, stick with God. Even when God doesn't seem to make sense or there seems to be a better option, stick with God. Serve God with all other faithfulness, all your faithfulness. There's something profound about when all your faithfulness is given to God. I love there's a story in the Bible, I believe it's in the book of John, where Jesus says some weird stuff and he looks at his disciples after a bunch of other followers leave and he says, are you guys going to leave? And I believe it's Peter that looks back at him and says, uh, where else are we going to go? We've, we've committed our lives to you. To whom else would we go? You're the one with the words to eternal life and we're sticking with you. There's something that profound that happens in our life when we give God all of our faithfulness. Serve God. Stick it out even when the going gets tough. Serve him always. The next thing is it says, choose today who you will serve. For them, the temptation was these fake, false, pagan gods that didn't really exist. To To us in our culture, we don't really have the temptation to kneel down to a like a, a rock or anything like that. And that day they did because they used it to manipulate their circumstances. If they wanted something, to, a prayer wasn't getting answered or something like that, they'd just bow down to the God of that thing, and that's who they served that day. Today, we're not, we're not facing the false God temptation, but I think that we are deciding who we're going to serve because it's not always God. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve ourselves? serve our comfort, serve our circumstances. The Bible says choose today who or what you're going to serve. Today that means for us no feet in both camps. No, like, I'll be with God, but when the going gets tough, I'm going to fix my own stuff before I look to God. No, no, no. He says choose today who you're going to serve. No more foot in both camps, wishy-washy stuff. Choose today. Are you going to serve God? I hope so. But if that seems undesirable, then you choose. And he goes on to say this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I love this. And I think it's so profound, more so than we give it credit for, because we just hang it up in our house when we're raising kids and say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And all of that's great. But what I love about Joshua is this isn't a situation where this phrase really even makes sense. Let me explain what I mean by that. Joshua, I'm not kidding you. Fourteen verses later, dies. He says this in verse fifteen: "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Yeah, and everybody goes away and say, "We want to serve God," and then they go back to their households, all determined. And it says in verse twenty-nine: After he said and did these things, Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died. So, what place is Joshua in to determine the course of his family? He doesn't have any practical steps to walk out after he dies. He has no control over what him and his household does, but he has the guts, the audacity to say, God has been so good to us as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to tell you today that no matter how young you are or how old you are or whether you have a picture-perfect family or whether you have a broken family, it is not too dire of a situation for you to declare today and mean it and say it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can leave here declaring that today and knowing that you're going to go home and serve God. because I know that because Joshua did. He died a moment after he gives his his speech. He gives his speech to the huge crowd. They make a decision, following his footsteps, saying, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, and then he dies. If that doesn't tell you that it's not too late for you to say it, it's not too late for you to declare it, then I don't know what is. There's no excuse for us to say, oh man, I've got a broken family, it's not gonna work out. No, Joshua didn't have any say about what his family was, but he declared it in Jesus' name. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I pray that as we leave here today, that's what each and every one of us can do. Whether you are single and looking for that special someone, you can say to yourself, as for me and my house, even if it's just one, we're gonna serve God. And we're going to do it his way because one day he's going to bring that special someone and they're going to also have said the same thing. And then as for me and my house, we're going to build God's family the way that he wants us to. You might be in here and you might have a broken family. You might be divorced. God might have a plan to restore your family or maybe you just want to stay single or whatever it is. But you can declare today as for me and my house, those that I have authority over, we will serve the Lord. You might be a single parent, and of course, that's so difficult. And maybe you're a single mom, and you don't have the husband to lead the family, or maybe you're bringing your kids to church because your husband's not into it. We're going to pray that your husband comes around and, and, and that he comes to church and all of that and becomes the leader that God has called him to be, but thank God that you're doing your part. And you can say over your kids and your family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or maybe your, your, your family does just look exactly like God's structure. The thing is, that's a very difficult thing to build. So we're going to have to continually declare As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to say it over and over again because we have the power to keep doing that. It's not a talent or ability that we have. It's a declaration that we make that no matter what comes, hell or high water, I'm going to serve God and so will my house. So today I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you for anybody that you have in your household, whether you're a husband and a father and you've got some kids here, I'm going to ask you to to hold their hand or put your arm around them or something. Or maybe you're single and you just want to say to God with arms open wide, I will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to pray over you in a little bit. We're going to pray for families. But I hope that we can make that declaration today, that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We put your arm around your family or grab their hand or whatever it may be. If you're single and you're here, you just want us to hold out your hands like this. We're going to pray for you, too. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every family in this place today. God, we thank you for all the stories that you have brought into this house. God, no matter how broken they are or seemingly put together they are, God, we all need your grace. And we're thankful that you have extraordinary grace for families. And God, I pray that you would help us to get it right. Help us to be the picture that the world needs to see of Jesus. Help us to show the world what what, what family can be, what a long, enjoyable life looks like as we do this thing together as families. God, I thank you for Faith Christian Church and the intentionality that we take to to pour into families. And I pray that this, this month has been a blessing. And I pray that as we leave today, we would all follow your steps, your plan, husbands taking the lead, And loving their wives. Wives letting their husbands leave. Children honoring and obeying the Lord. Because we love you. And God, most of all, I pray for every person here. You see us all represented as families holding hands or maybe even just one person with their arms open wide. God, we pray that for every person in this building today, you would help us to make this bold declaration. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I say that over my house, my family today, and I pray it over these people gathered today. As for us and our homes and our families, we will serve you in Jesus' name. Today, if there's anybody here that has never accepted God, you're not on the path to serving Jesus or anything like that, but you'd say, you know what, I need to get this right. I know I do. And the way to do that is to accept Jesus. That's the first step. The very first thing is a simple decision. Say yes to Jesus. I'm going to give you that opportunity here. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, today's your day. I'm not trying to pressure you, but it's the best decision that you could ever make. It'll set you on a course of fulfillment, a long, enjoyable life serving God, loving Him, and loving the people around you. Today is your day. Let me encourage you. On the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you. Not because we wanna tally or we wanna feel good about ourselves or to embarrass you or anything like that, but we believe that if you do something physical as a symbol of what God is doing in your heart, it solidifies it to yourself that today I made a decision for Jesus Christ. And so today, if you're here and you wanna accept Jesus, whether it be for the first time or you know you've left him and now you need to come back, wherever you're at, if you need to accept Jesus and get right with him, now is your moment on the count of three. One, God loves you so much. The Bible tells us that he came to earth when he didn't have to and died on the cross just to bring you back to him. That's extraordinary love. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We don't have a minute to lose or a moment to waste. If, now, if right now you're even thinking about it, it is your moment to say yes to Jesus. Three, if that's you, will you just raise your hand so we can pray with you? Thank you. Anybody else that would like to join these today? Thank you. All right. You can put your hands back down. We're going to pray all of us here together today. Especially if you raise your hand, I want you to pray these these words. It's not magic. It's not perfect. It's not going to fix every problem. But it it will get you to Jesus. And with Jesus, he'll walk you through every situation. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He is always with you. And he'll lead you home all the way to heaven. He'll help you get on the right path with family, with life, with whatever situation you're in. Say yes to Jesus today. Let's all say it. But especially if you raise your hand, if you mean this, it'll transform you from the inside out. Say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for making me a child of God. Today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all the families in this place today. We thank you for the people, the individuals that make up these families. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for the people that committed their lives to you today to say yes to Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen us all, help us all to leave here today saying that as for me, and if it applies as for me and my household, we will serve you. We declare it in Jesus' name. We all said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed. If you like prayer for anything, you can come forward. We'll have people up here at the altar that would love to pray with you. Hope you have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving and Merry